This is Brad Keithley, Managing Director of Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets. Welcome to the weekly top three, the top three things on our mind here at Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets for the week of January 11th, 2021. The weekly top three is a regular segment on The Michael Duke Show. The show broadcasts on Facebook Live and via streaming audio from the show's website weekdays from 6 to 8 a.m. I join Michael weekly in the first hour of Tuesday's show from 6.25 to 7 a.m. for a discussion between the two of us about our three issues. We post the podcast of our discussion following the show on the Alaska for Sustainable Budgets Facebook, YouTube, SoundCloud, and Spotify pages, also on the new Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets website, as well as the projects page on national blog site, medium.com. You can find past episodes of the weekly top three also at the same locations. Keep in mind that in addition to these podcasts, during the week, you also can follow and participate in the discussion with us of these and other issues affecting Alaska's fiscal and economic condition by following us on the Alaska for Sustainable Budgets Facebook page and through our posts on Twitter. This week, our top three issues are these. First, we look at Legislative Finance's Budget Outlook presentation last Friday. Second, we discuss what we find of interest so far in the legislature's stack of pre-filed legislation. And third, our takeaway from last week's Anwar lease sale. And now, let's join Michael. Well, let's talk a little bit about Ledge Finance and the meeting that they had last week as they dove down into the governor's budget. Uh, you said this presentation would actually be eye-opening, uh, and uh, I would like to uh, get your take on uh, your, 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 you know, you had the preview. Now give us the review on the other side. Well, I think uh, the job that Alexi Painter did uh, from Ledge Finance uh, was, was extremely good. Uh, again, so far I've been impressed by Alexi, particularly because he has, he has been very clear uh, in, in setting two baselines, a current policy baseline, which reflects what the, what the legislature has done the last few years, which uh, uh, is driven principally by PFD cuts and using that as a baseline to assess things. And then, a, 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 but, but most importantly to me, a current law baseline where uh, he constructs a, a baseline using, a, using the law. Uh, that's set forth in the, in the statutes, and that includes a full PFD. And I think that really brings a clarity to understanding the state's fiscal situation that uh, that we've lacked under under prior ledge fine uh, ledge finance directors who have uh, who frankly just used current policy and, and and sort of skipped over what the what the law provides. Uh, we we posted uh, Alexi's um, both the video, a link to the video uh, of his presentation, and uh, a link to the slide deck he used, and for those who haven't looked at it and are interested in the details, uh, I would I would urge you to go find both. You can find them on the Alaska for links to them on the Alaska for Sustainable Budgets Facebook page, uh, or elsewhere on on other things we do. Um, but I, I I think it's a I think it's an excellent over uh, excellent presentation. There are three takeaways I'd like to focus on. First is. Um, regardless of whether you use current policy or current law as your baseline, uh, the, 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 the slide deck is, is excellent in, in sort of going through the detailed analysis uh, that shows deficits are real. Um, uh, it shows 
Also, some of the budget gimmicks that, that the administration is proposing this year to sort of mask over a little bit of what the deficits are, uh, both uh, uh, in FY21 and, and FY22. Uh, but it, it, it is clear that the deficits are there. And once you get to FY23, uh, it's clear that there aren't any gimmicks that can mask it over or uh, any, uh, any draws that uh, any excess uh, PFD draws that that uh, that cover it, and I think I think it's important to understand that those deficits are real, and and how we get to them, and why they why they exist. And I think the the presentation is uh, is 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 eye opening for those who who have uh, who have continued to say the deficits aren't real, uh, and uh, and 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 is a useful tool to to go through that. The second thing um, is uh, I think the the presentation in the last couple of pages sort of draws some conclusions, uh, and particularly around the governor's proposed excess PFD draw, or what they call an overdraw uh, from, the, uh, from the permanent fund uh, in order to pay uh, PFDs this year and next year. And it calculates the cost of those overdraws to uh, future generations. We've talked a lot on the program in the past. I've talked a lot on the program in the past about the about these overdraws uh, being uh, essentially a tax on future generations. Uh, the uh, presentation uh, analyzes uh, the impact of these overdraws and, and comes to the conclusion that uh, the, the cost of the overdraws is $160 million per year uh, in reduced revenue tax. Uh, on future generations uh, resulting from the overdraws. That's $160 million per year forever uh, in, terms of, in terms of what these overdraws, uh, in terms of what these overdraws cost. So it's, it, the, the, the presentation really helps lock in, uh, quantify uh, the tax on future generations from, uh, from these overdraws. The third, the third point uh, that uh, I think is important from um, the presentation is that it, it is what it lacks. It doesn't do a distributional analysis of of the costs of of various revenue options. One one of the things that that they got into a discussion of uh, during the presentations, both uh, Larry Persley's that preceded uh, the ledge finance uh, the ledge finance presentation, as well as the ledge finance presentation. Uh, they started talking about revenues to, to cover these uh, these deficits, um, and in neither uh, Persley's nor in uh, Alexi's presentation uh, did they did they talk about the um, the distributional impacts of, of the various revenue options. For example, um, uh, there was some discussion of sales tax in both uh, Persley's uh, presentation and slightly in. Uh, in uh, Alexi's presentation during the, the presentations, and sales taxes, as we've talked about on the program, uh, are, are simply another way of shifting the burden of costs to middle and lower income Alaska families. Not quite as bad as PFD cuts, uh, but nevertheless, they shift the burden of costs to middle and lower income uh, Alaska families. Um, and and there wasn't any discussion of that. No discussion of uh, of um, of using that uh, of the impact of. Of those sorts of revenue options on uh, on, on on the distri the distributional impact of those revenue options on on Alaska families, and I think that's a I think that is an issue that 
that needs to be highlighted in every presentation going forward. We've got these deficits. These deficits are going to require, even the governor admits that the deficits are there. Even the governor admits that new revenues are going to be required uh, to fill those deficits. Uh, okay, so now that we're talking about now that we're talking about revenues, we need to talk every time we talk about revenues, uh, we need to be talking about the distributional impacts because the, the the distributional impacts, uh, the differences in the distributional impacts, are huge. Progressive income taxes pushes the cost of government to the top forty percent. PFD cuts clearly push the bulk of the cost of middle and lower income Alaska families. Sales taxes to a lesser degree, but nevertheless to a significant degree, pushes the cost of uh, middle and lower income Alaska families. We need to be talking about who is going to pay uh, these uh, these revenues uh, as we go forward. Not just not just in theory what type of revenues would work, but who's going to be paying these revenues. And we also need to be talking about the impact of these various revenues on 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 the Alaska economy. ICER's uh, 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 2016 study. Uh, clearly finds that PFD cuts have the largest adverse impact uh, overall of all the options on the overall Alaska economy, in, in particular because of the way they impact middle and lower income Alaska families. Right. Um, and sales taxes have an adverse impact. Uh, income taxes have another impact. We need to be talking about these now that we're now now that we're confronting the fact that we've got these deficits, and now that even the governor's talking about revenues, we need to be talking about. Uh, the impact of the various options as we go forward, and that that I think was lacking in uh, in uh, Ledge Finance's presentation. Well, we got the three things. So, I mean, first and foremost, people are now getting smacked in the face with the reality that there is a deficit. They can't put it off anymore. It's it's uh, I mean, it's out of sight, out of mind. Now, did a lot of that come from Alexi's presentation, or I know that you know Priscilla has been kind of an excuser in a lot of ways for this. What do you? Uh, what was your takeaway from Priscilla's part of the presentation? Oh, it was it, it, Larry's presentation was really to set a tone. I mean, he didn't add anything uh, uh, to Alexi's presentation. Alexi's presentation was really by the numbers. Larry's presentation was sort of to was was sort of to to put an, a, a tonal overlay on it that uh, uh, hey, this this problem's bad. Uh, we got to do something about it. Uh, we've been telling you it's going to be bad for a while. It's just, it, it, it really, if you want the numbers, uh, uh, digging into Alexi's presentation is where the numbers are. Uh, when we look at this and now they understand that they can't, they can't back away from this. They can't try and spin it anymore that, uh, that there really is, uh, deficits in our future. And then coming back to the, by the numbers, you know, the actual cost, was there any discussion on the cost to the Alaskan economy or the be- the cost benefit of actually turning that money loose? I mean, yes, we're looking at the unearned revenue moving forward, one hundred and sixty million dollars a year. But was there any analysis of, of what the you know if this money was released now into an economy, especially a stagnant, a struggling economy, what the uh, you know what the turns in the economy would look like if that money was released now? There were words around that uh, in terms of, yes, it would release additional money into the economy. Uh, uh, once businesses opened up, um, uh, that, that, uh, that would help uh, the economy. Uh, but there, wasn't, there weren't any concrete numbers uh, put to that. And there certainly wasn't any analysis of positive impacts on the current economy versus negative impacts uh, on, uh, on, on future uh, economies. That's a... Uh, that's that. That's part of 
what needs to come. The impact of these various revenue approaches uh, needs to be added into these presentations. Uh, Brad Keithley is our guest, Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets. All right, Brad, well, summate it up for us here. I mean, we've got, obviously, they're starting to poke around the idea that we may need more revenue, that we may need uh, that we may need some new stuff, including a sales tax or a progressive tax or a flat tax or whatever it is. Uh, do you think that they've reached that point where everybody's going to have to acknowledge that now, or what's your thoughts on it? I, to, to not acknowledge it is to, is to ignore numbers, is to ignore the reality of the numbers in front of you. Again, even the governor's budget now admits that there's a, there, there's a need for new revenues. And one of the points that Alexi made, uh, I, think, I think, importantly, uh, was that uh, even though the governor's budget says we don't need new revenues because of the permanent fund overdraws in the meantime, even though the governor's budget says we don't need new revenues until FY23, uh, uh, Alexi's point was to have new revenues in FY23, uh, you have to uh, enact them this year because it takes uh, uh, about a year to get them set up and to, and to begin uh, collecting uh, those no, new revenues, even, uh, even if you go with something as simple as a sales tax. Um, and so he, he, he's trying to, I think, I, the numbers are driving you to say uh, that, that you've got to confront uh, revenues this year. I, I'm, I'm not sure. That that's that that's widely understood yet at the legislature, uh, but the numbers uh, that are in this presentation, the numbers that are even in the governor's ten-year budget, ten-year uh, uh, plan that's in his budget, are very clear uh, that uh, that that there will that there is a need for new revenues. The 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 point that Alexi didn't make, but that that should be made, is if you don't enact new revenues this year. Uh, what you're doing is you're just pushing out the number of years that you're going to depend on permanent fund overdraws and the, and the size of the tax that you're, you're increasing the size of the tax on future generations. So, um, I, I think that, I think the, the summation is excellent numbers, uh, clearly demonstrating as does the governor's budget. Uh, that uh, that there is now a, 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 an, a, an unarguable uh, need for uh, new revenues, um, and um, and and we need to start. We need to be dealing with that. This legislature, you can't put it off any longer. I don't know if you want to comment on this because uh, it wasn't on your weekly top three, but it was reported last night. I was just covering it. This new bipartisan majority that appears to be forming in the Senate. Any comment on that before we jump into the ledge finance meeting? No, I, uh, I I would say that I, I anticipate we're going to see that in the Senate and we're going to see it in the House. Um, it's just um, the, the House is going to be uh, interesting. I, I, I'm not convinced yet that Bryce uh, ends up as Speaker uh, if there's a bipartisan majority in the House. I think that there's a chance that Steve Thompson ends up as, as Speaker. Actually, Steve Thompson could end up as Speaker of, of either a bipartisan majority or or potentially a Republican majority. Um, but I, I, I wasn't surprised to see those reports. Yeah, no, I was not surprised either. I'm surprised it didn't come out sooner because I know that uh, the inflexibility of the players involved, especially those on the business-as-usual crowd, they want their way or the highway, and I think that's what we're expecting here. We just finished up with number one. We're on to number two. We'll see if we can squeak in number three as well. Number two, though, is a review of all the pre-filed bills 
that have uh, now hit uh, the rolls for the legislature. Some interesting ones in there, including a constitutional amendment by Bill Wilikowski to guarantee a permanent fund. And, of course, Adam Wool and Sarah Hannon uh, pushing out a uh, income tax, uh, which is uh, two of the big ones there. But uh, go ahead and hit us with it here. Brad, what is your takeaways here of all the different pre-filed bills? Let's talk about them. Well, I think there's three pre-filed bills uh, so far that, uh, that that caught my eye. There's several, and you can find good reviews of them on Alaska Public Media or the ADN or Fairbanks News Miner or, or the, the Juno Empire, and I'm sure the Alaska Journal of Commerce. Uh, but there's three uh, bills that have caught my eye uh, so far. Uh, one is the constitutional amendment by Bill Wilikowski that would constitutionalize the permanent fund it's interesting. I don't. I'm, I think Bill throws this out here as a thought starter, but Bill's uh, uh, proposal uh, is to uh, pay out the higher of fifty uh, percent of the traditional PFD calculation, or fifty percent of the uh, draw, uh, uh, the draw made by the legislature under SB twenty six. Uh, 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 50% of that, which is actually the governor's uh, proposal in uh, in his uh, budget as well. Uh, but Bill's proposal is to is to pay out the higher of those, and and I, 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 there will be there will be pushback on that, a lot of pushback on that. But but that's sort of his starting point. The second the second is uh, Jonathan Christ Tompkins' uh, uh, constitutional proposal over in the House, uh, permanent fund constitutional proposal. He does not propose to constitutionalize the PFD, what his proposal is, is to constitutionalize uh, SB 26, essentially, by by making the draws from the permanent fund uh, based upon uh, a 5%, uh, uh, 5% of, the, of, the, of the previous five-year uh, average, essentially constitutionalizing SB 26. That uh, constitutional proposal uh, has, is not hasn't been endorsed by, but is very similar to the, uh, the, the constitutional proposal that the Permanent Fund Board um, has recommended um, and, and is one that I think will get a lot of attention. The, the bill that surprised me the most um, and, and is one that, frankly, I think uh, outlines uh, sort of the uh, grand bargain, if you will, that, that may be out there, uh, is Adam Wool's uh, uh, HB 37. Um, it's it's played down a little bit in the in the summaries I've seen by saying it's another it's just another uh, uh, income tax bill. It's more than that. Uh, what what Adams what HB 37 does is start by um, uh, restating the permanent fund. Um, it's not, it's not in or permanent fund dividend. It's not in a way that I agree with, but nevertheless, the first part of it is, is re is, 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 is restructuring, uh, the permanent fund dividend. And then the second part, um, is, is additional revenues. Basically it's a revenue bill. Here's how we're going to restructure the permanent fund dividend to produce some revenues. And then the second part is, uh, is is additional revenues, and the additional revenues. Um, first time that this is that this is made it to a bill that's been submitted uh, is a flat tax, uh, flat tax along the lines that that uh, I've discussed uh, on the program over the last uh, uh, last few years. 
um, and it's a, 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 a way of engaging all Alaskans uh, or having all Alaskans contribute relatively the same uh, to, um, uh, to the cost of government. Uh, it's, it's a little skewed because he's got uh, 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 deductions, standard deductions, uh, that would that would apply, and so that makes it slightly progressive. Uh, but you know, you take out the standard deductions, and it becomes it becomes the same sort of flat tax that we've discussed. the The reason the reason I mentioned those three bills is I think I think they could form the 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 basis for um, uh, a grand bargain, if you will, of of how to how to solve our fiscal situation, constitutionalize the PFD. Uh, taking Willikowski's uh, 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 proposal to constitutionalize the PFD, uh, uh, constitutionalize the way we're going to make draws uh, from the permanent fund along the lines recommended by the permanent fund board, um, uh, and in a in, in a fashion that uh, uh, that uh, JKT's uh, proposal does, uh, and then. Uh, uh, pick up the part of Wool's that says, "Okay, we need additional revenues." We all recognize uh, both the bu- both the governor's budget and uh, ledge finance uh, current law are clear that we need additional revenues. Uh, pick up from Wool and say, "This is how we're going to raise the current revenues." So put all that together. We're going to have we're going to have revenues. This is the way we're going to do revenues, but they're going to come with the constitutionalization of the permanent fund dividend. And with the constitutionalization of how we're going to do uh, permanent fund draws, so we don't have this issue of excess draws and taxes on future generations uh, uh, down the road, sort of continually hanging over our heads uh, down the road, uh, and that, and 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 bringing that all together uh, in one approach, making the new revenues uh, in Adams' bill contingent upon the passage of of, of the constitutional amendments. Uh, uh, that that constitutionalized the permanent fund dividend. I think that is sort of the the basis of the grand bargain that that might work. It certainly would work to solve uh, uh, the 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 revenue situation we face in the state, the state's budget situation. It certainly would would deal with the uh, the issues raised by the various constituencies. I think those three bills, sort of viewed together uh, as as a package, if you will, is a uh, is 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 a very interesting uh, theme that sort of emerges from the pre-files. Have you had a chance to analyze Sarah Hannon's bill as well? I mean, because there's two tax proposals. There's Adam Wool's and Sarah Hannon's, and Hannon's apparently has got a lot of bells and whistles attached to it uh, that I don't know if it makes it unworkable, but definitely makes it more complex in that regard. Well, Sarah's is a progressive income tax. Um, she, uh, like the federal tax system, she uh, uh, increases the rate uh, at higher income brackets. And to me, that's that's just sort of the reverse of PFD cuts, right? PFD cuts shove the costs uh, mostly to middle and lower income Alaska families. A progressive income tax just shoves the costs mostly uh, to to the top 40% to higher income families. I don't, and 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 so. You know, both of those, as we've talked about in the past, leave a segment of the population that doesn't care about costs because they're not paying a share of the costs. Um, so I, yeah, I've I've read through Sarah's. It's it is complex, uh, but but at base, it's a progressive income tax, and I, to me, that's just a uh, that's the wrong way to go around to go about uh, solving our fiscal problem.
Brad Keith Lee, Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets, uh, here with us here. We're going through the weekly top three. All right, so sum eight, number two here, Brad. In the best-case scenario, you think that the amalgamation of these these three bills could be the solution. Uh, I guess the big question is, will Alaskans swallow it, uh, I think, is the, is the final question. I mean, any kind of tax at this point, uh, whether it's flat or otherwise, we've seen the reaction even from folks here on the program of discussions of a flat tax for the last five years, in addition to reduction of the permanent fund, even though it gets locked in, uh, Alaskans have got to be able to swallow it. What do what do you what do you think? Uh, what do you think of that? You've got to start from the from the understanding that we're already taxed. PFD cuts are a tax on middle and lower income Alaska families. Huge tax on middle and lower income Alaska families. We are being taxed, and when you look at the budgets going forward, we will continue to be taxed. Uh, if if we don't find another way to raise revenues, we will continue to have deep PFD cuts, if not PFD elimination, as the way to as the way to fund uh, these fiscal gaps. We are being taxed. The question is, what's the best? If 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 that's where we're going, and 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 that is where we're going, what what's the best way to be taxed? What's the most efficient, the fairest, with the lowest adverse impact on the overall uh, economy? And, and PFD cuts isn't it. It isn't any of that. It isn't fair. It isn't efficient. And it isn't. And it doesn't have. A, it has the largest adverse impact on the overall economy. So we are being taxed. The question is, and we will continue to be taxed. The question is, what's the best way to tax? And that's that. In that context, I think I think it is uh, appropriate for Alaskans to consider uh, a package which would include. Uh, revenues raised through a flat tax as opposed to PFD cuts. It's not, it's not, can we have our PFD and not ever be taxed? That's not the future. The future is we're either going to, we're either going to be taxed through PFD, continued deep PFD cuts, or we're going to be taxed in some other fairer way. And for 80% of Alaska families, a flat tax is lower, fairer, more efficient, more equitable. Brad and I were having conversations this whole last week, watching what's going on on the national level. What kind of ramifications do you think this is going to have for Alaska, Brad? Anything that, uh, I mean, this is, you know, it's kind of a wide, uh, a far-reaching question, but uh, as we watch what's going on and more and more people uh, uh, are kind of taking sides on this, does this contribute to the partisan divide uh, here in the state, in the legislature, or are we so badly muddled at this point that bipartisan majorities is the only way things are going to go and it, it doesn't really matter to us? What are your thoughts on it? Well, I, I think the reality out of this last election is we're going to have uh, bipartisan majorities. The, the outcome of the election actually was to turn some districts that had previously been red, like John Coghill's, turn them more red uh, with Rob Myers. But overall, I think, uh, I think the outcome of the election was to make Alaska, the legislature, even more purple than it was before. I mean, you look at Lance Pruitt's defeat. You look at Mel Gillis's defeat, um, and and you're putting uh, uh, Democrats in seats that uh, previously were held by Republicans. And I and I think that uh, I think I think a bipartisan majority is just is is just the outcome of of the election. As far as as far as what's happened this last week, uh, in terms of uh, in terms of impact on Alaska, I'm concerned. That it's that it's 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 making our communication more difficult. Um, I've seen people, you know, withdrawing from Facebook, withdrawing from Twitter, 
Um, and, and, and as bad as the conversations were, as, as difficult as the conversations were, as, as, as sometimes outlandish as the conversations had become, uh, uh, online conversations, uh, they were still conversations. And now that you have people sort of withdrawing into their own, you know, little corners of the world in terms of how they're going to communicate, even those communicate, even those conversations, as difficult as they were and as extreme as they were sometimes, even those conversations aren't, aren't going to take place. And I, I to find a way out of this, we've got to be, we've got to be having conversations. We've got to be talking. We've got to be, you know, trying to understand uh, the other side's view and, and trying to find some, some way of accommodating that. Um, and, and people withdrawing into their corners, I think is, uh, is, is very problematic. I, I think that's, I think that's a problem uh, at the national, <coughs> excuse me, at the national level. But the way people are reacting to what's happened in Alaska, I think it's going to make that a problem in Alaska as well. Yeah, no, I mean, we've talked about this before. I mean, I, I think the total abandonment of, uh, you know, I mean, I look at this as if it's a battlefield. You don't you don't you don't abandon the field uh, at any moment, even when things are turning against you and the tides are not in your favor. You don't just abandon the field willy-nilly. Uh, if you want to join an alternative uh, social media platform, some other kind of uh, of uh, you know of gross communication platform, that's fine. If you want to do it in addition to it, but you can't just abandon the field and then go circle the wagons into a place that's a safe space for you to you know to have your thoughts echoed back to you. We don't need an echo chamber. Uh, and if we do that, there's two things that happen. One, it allows the major social media sites to become even more of an echo chamber for more progressive thought than they actually are already. Secondly, it eliminates any possibility that those people who are in the middle will actually hear any kind of alternative thought. And then it does the same thing for us on the other side. If we go circle the wagons into another platform where we all just agree with each other, we, we, we become these echo chambers on both sides. And I think that that's a very, very dangerous place to be, personally. I think that's a very dangerous place to be. Yeah, I agree with that, Michael. I mean, uh, you, you, you listen to some of the people or read some of the stories of the people who were involved in the, uh, in the invasion of the Capitol. And, and, and there's, there are several themes that sort of come through these stories. But one theme is everybody I know agreed that the election was stolen. Everybody I talked to, everybody I listened to agreed that the election was stolen. And, 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 and that, that sort of reinforces you know this sense of isolation, this sense of 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 you know that we got to do something about it by you know that justifies invading, in, in invading the Capitol building, and that's just I, I think that's I think that's very problematic in in our society. Yeah, no, and again, we can't abandon the high ground. I mean, if you're you know if you're if you're fighting, you can't just say okay, I'm going to pull back and and you know we're all going to coalesce over here and talk amongst ourselves. We've got to have that that battle of ideas. We've got to have the answer to, to to speech you don't like again is more speech, and that's what we need to do. And if that means we have to talk till we're blue in the face, then that's what we need to do. That's kind of the bottom line. Number three, the Anwar sale, which I'm already hearing there was chortling from, uh, you know, uh, and environmentalists and others who are basically saying, "Look, what a failure this was." The Anwar sale. Give us your take on this as we uh, as we go through here. We got about four minutes. 
Well, it's not a surprise. I mean, you could see it coming. Industry, we, we've talked about this on the show. Industry analysts, uh, uh, longtime industry analysts uh, outside Alaska, the ones that had perspective, uh, saw that there wasn't going to be industry uh, industry response uh, to Anwar. Um, and, I, and I don't think I, it shouldn't be a surprise to anybody. It is. I, I'm concerned, um, uh, upset, uh, uh, have problems with the fact that ADA submitted state money, bids with state money, uh, uh, to, for the, for the leases, you know, after, after listening to, you know, years and years of people say, well, don't go forward with LNG if, if the private, if private industry isn't going, going down that road, the state shouldn't be, you know, spending money where private industry isn't willing. Uh, after years of that, all of a sudden we've got ADAP submitting bids, uh, uh, state money for, uh, for these leases when private industry didn't went into it. I didn't go into it. I, I think that's, I think that's, that's problematic. But, but there's a very good piece, uh, that, uh, uh, Ed Crooks, who's vice chair, uh, of Wood McKenzie, one of the, one of the best industry consulting groups, uh, a good piece that, uh, that Ed did. Uh, we've got it up, I think, on the Thoughts on Alaska Oil and Gas uh, Facebook page. Um, it, it starts out by saying, international explorers steer clear of Alaska's wildlife refuge, goes through an analysis of why that is and why uh, it was to be expected. But then Ed you know, pivots and says, look, this isn't the end for Alaska. Alaska's got two big prospects uh, on the other side of the North Slope. <coughs> Excuse me, Conoco's, Will- uh, Conoco's Willow Project. Uh, and oil searches PICA project uh, that uh, that if they come on stream, if they're developed, um, uh, promise to to produce uh, substantial volumes of additional of additional oil supply. Alaska should not should not you know throw their hands up and say it's all over because of Anwar. Alaska, we there are these projects on the other side that Alaska ought to be focused on. I think the real issue, I, Anwar was sort of a. Uh, uh, a sideshow. Industry was not going to go into Anwar. Um, they weren't going to take on the, the risk of, of developing there, the cost of developing there. Uh, but we've got Pika and we've got uh, and we've got uh, Willow. Willow Conoco seems to be going down. I think the big the big uh, uh, issue uh, that's going to tell us what the future of Alaska oil development is is Pika. Uh, will Oil Search find financiers? To back it up, uh, to make a final investment decision to go forward uh, with the peak of development uh, at current oil prices and and with current issues. Um, if the answer to that is yes, I think uh, I think Alaska clearly continues to have an oil future. Uh, if PICA doesn't get financing, doesn't get backing for uh, for that project, I think I think then then we start really getting seriously concerned about where oil development's going in Alaska. But, but we shouldn't, no one should, should overstate or understate or, you know, give up the ghost or, or, or be concerned about what happened over in Anwar. Uh, I think that was, that, that, was, that was predestined for what was going to happen over there. We've still got Pika and Willow, uh, and I think Pika is where we need to be focused on uh, on, on, on where Alaska is going forward, whether Pika gets financed and goes forward. And I think, uh, you know, of course, some of us have been kind of watching this with bated breath, waiting to see exactly what was going to happen. And this was, again, underwhelming. I think that just, you know, reading the room, uh, until there's a greater demand for oil, there won't be a greater demand for any kind of exploration up there, especially with all the virtue signaling that we're seeing from the financial institutions and everything else. 
Yeah, Anwar is on federal lands. It is uh, it, it is hugely costly. It's not it's it's near existing infrastructure, but it would take a whole lot of additional infrastructure uh, to develop it. You've got you've got declining you know projections of declining oil demand. You've got Saudi sitting out there developing. Over the last year, they developed three new fields, all of which are are are, are bigger than anything you know. Bigger than current Prudhoe, um, you, you've got you've got a heck of a lot of of oil supply out there. Alaska still has a role to play, uh, but Anwar wasn't it. Never never was going to be it over the last five years. Once we got into, you know, the price regime and the and the regulatory regime we're in, uh, I th- Pika I think is is where we need to focus our attention. Brad Keithley, Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets. Final thoughts here, Brad. About a minute, less than a minute here. You want to wrap up and let folks know what you're thinking about this week, what we're going to be watching, and what we need to be paying attention to. Big uh, legislative session coming up. Now we've got the problem defined in terms of in terms of deficits. Both the administration and Ledge Finance agree. The question is how we deal with it. Adam Wool's look at Adam Wool and uh, and and Willikowski and J- JKT bill, JT, JKT's bills as a potential template. All right, Brad Keithley, Alaska's for Sustainable Budgets. Thank you, my friend. Appreciate you coming on board. Thank you for being Mike, part of it today. Michael, as always, thanks for having me. Appreciate you uh, coming on board. Well, that's a wrap for another week's edition of the weekly top three from Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets. Thank you again for joining us. Remember that you can find past episodes on our YouTube, SoundCloud, and Spotify pages, and keep track of us during the week on Facebook and Twitter. This has been Brad Keith, like Managing Director of Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets. We look forward to you joining us again next week on the Weekly Top 3.